That was encouraging, thank you. Um, there's been a bit of mention over the last few weeks about people um, running out of time and watching the clock, and so I'm going to tell you from the beginning I am going to run out of time. But I have got a method for dealing with it, and you could try it. Don't look at the clock. Um, the series we're talking about and looking at over this month is Starting Well. And Marcus kicked things off last week um, under the title, God Always Does What He Says He Will Do. And he reminded us about the promise of God to Noah, the sign of a rainbow, and God's sort of default nature to always do what he said he would do. What he speaks is truth, and truth will come to pass. So if God always does what he says, then I guess it's important for us to hear what he says and know what he says. And so the first question I have for you this morning is, um, do we believe that God speaks to us? You know, for perhaps many people in the world these days, um, that thought might be a bit strange, God speaking to us. Um, they might even sneer at that thought. They may even, at a worst case scenario, think you need looking up. God told me to do it. <laughs> but I believe that God does speak today. I think that God did speak, he does speak, and he still speaks. And God can speak to us in various channels. He often speaks to us during our times of prayer and worship. As a church, like many other churches around the world, we believe in the gift of the prophetic. And you would have seen that in operation here, if you've been here a few times, where someone just feels that they have something to bring that is of God, and they put that into words for us to understand. People can sometimes speak to us, not in that kind of prophetic way but even just conversation with other Christian friends God can sometimes use that to speak to us you know we're just having a conversation and we something that just strikes a chord in us and we just know that we have heard something from God you know and the Lord doesn't only communicate in these kind of verbal ways and in words you know sometimes it's just a feeling Sometimes a prompting in our spirit or in our mind to do something often a prompting to go and help someone or bless someone else and sometimes it's not even a prompting or an action to do something, but just this overwhelming emotion and feeling. I wonder if any of you have ever been surprised by God in a given moment. You know, I know there have been times when I've been driving in the car on my own, maybe I've got a bit of worship music on in the background, and all of a sudden I'm not just listening to some music, but I'm just aware of the presence of God as you're just worshipping. The presence of the Holy Spirit can be felt here in this place. I've heard lots of people say, even new people through these doors, that they feel something in here on a Sunday. And it's not because this is a particular magic structure. We're not on some ancient site. It's because the Holy Spirit is in this place and dwells with his people. And I really hope that all of you over time will experience something of the feeling of God's presence in this place. And then what about those times when we see and we experience the wonder of God when we weren't even intentionally looking for it? So by that I mean these things when we just suddenly see an amazing sunrise or a sunset. There's something in us, isn't it? We just want to share it with someone, tell someone, look at that. And maybe a drive through some mountain roads and all of a sudden a view opens up, this amazing vista and we just think, Wow. Sitting on the beach looking at the ocean, I know that's a place for me personally when I'm sitting on the beach just looking out to sea. I don't know why, but I just feel something and sense something of the presence of God. 
Others, it might be mountains or countryside, a star-filled sky, or even just the beauty of a single flower in a garden. When we look at the amazing detail of life and creation, I'm sure many of you will watch you know, David Attenborough nature programmes, and um, I love it when you're watching those programmes and they go in and they describe in the real intricate detail of the design and how something works, whether it be a plant or an animal or an insect or whatever it is. And then David Attenborough will often say something like, you know, oh, the wonder of Mother Nature. But when I'm watching those programmes, I think, wow, God, you are amazing. God speaks through his creation And then finally, possibly the most complete way that God speaks to us is through his word, through the Bible, the living word of God. So in answer to my earlier question, yes, God speaks and God has something to say to us. And we're looking at the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Old Testament. It's also the first book of the Hebrew Bible. And it was written by Moses around about three and a half thousand years ago. And um, if I could have the next slide up, please, guys. Do any of you know the Hebrew name for Genesis? If you could reveal that, please. I've got to be careful how I pronounce this. And languages is not my strong term. Bereshit is the word. Bereshit. Now that is the word, it means in the beginning. So the first word, the name of the book, of the first book of the Bible is in the beginning. And the very first word in the Bible says in the beginning. So that's the um, the Hebrew word that we're looking at. So I thought the beginning seemed a pretty good place to start. And so we're going to read from Genesis 1. Um, If you've got your Bibles with you, you can open those up. You shouldn't have too much difficulty finding Genesis 1. It's at the beginning. And I'm going to read a fairly big chunk of scripture here. Now, just bear with me. Um, Try to not nod off. I don't have the best reading voice, but I'm going to read through a little bit of this. I may just skip a few sections because we need to move on. But it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water, So God made the expanse and separated the water above the expanse from the water below it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. That splitting of waters, just by the way, is talking about a vertical split of waters, not splitting seas. But the whole world was covered in what's described as waters. And that forming of this expanse is our atmosphere that keeps the sea down and the universe out. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw it was good. 
I'm going to skip a few verses now, but we hear, and God said, and God said, and God said, as he goes through this creation process, he creates vegetation, he creates the fish that swim in the sea, he creates animals, people. And then I'm going to get towards the end in verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their own kinds, livestock, creatures that move around along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, all the creatures that move along the ground. So those words that we're reading there are the first time that God is speaking into the humanity or the history of our humanity. And God said, and God, we read, spoke the universe into existence. The Hebrew word Bereshit, I'm not going to say it more than that, (laughs) points to the very start of something. God gave us this word so that we would understand that he is the beginning of all things. When we think about starting well, he is the beginning of all things. He created beginnings for us. God already was prior to anything. He's the one who made all of this come to be. And you know, mankind has always been fascinated with how it all began. Science strives to understand time, space and matter. And you know, that single first line in the Bible is a really good place to start. Time in the beginning. Space, God created the heavens, matter and the earth. God is eternal He's not governed or, governed or constrained by time. He sits outside of it, above it, over it. He always was and always will be. He exists outside of time, but in the history of this small blue planet, sitting within our solar system, sitting within our galaxy of the Milky Way, sitting within billions of other galaxies, immeasurably vast universe, there was a moment when God created a beginning that would lead to us, to men and to women made in the image of God. And this morning, I think the Lord at the beginning of this year wants to remind us that in all of that, he was mindful of us, of you and of me. M. Stokes um, read a bit of scripture last week that she felt led to share. It's from Psalm 139. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm jumping a bit now. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This sermon is not an attempt for me to explain the origin of life. I am nowhere near clever enough to even begin to scratch the surface of a preface of an introduction into that subject. But I do want to just touch on a few matters this morning. Firstly, what do I believe in respect to that creation story that we've just read? Is it just a poetic description? Surely modern science has blown this all out of the water. 
the Big Bang Theory, evolution, the discovery of quarks and dark matter. During our lifetime, NASA's space probe has sent, seen pictures and sent them back to us of the first ripples in the universe, the effect of gravity at the beginning of time. They describe it as lumps in the primeval soup. I can't begin to describe what all of that means. Do you know, interestingly though, just about two days ago I saw a news article, one of these massive telescopes that NASA have got has just for the first time sent a higher resolution picture back from a galaxy right at the edge of the universe and they've been absolutely shocked to see that that galaxy is complete. It's like ours. And the little line I said is that scientists will need to now rethink how that began. Every time we look a bit further, we open up a more mystery. Now, very many people in the world today, probably many that haven't even read this book, will be very quick to assume and maybe to tell you that this is a fairy tale. Maybe at best just poetic writing, maybe some good moral teaching. Now, I don't want to appear to show off this morning, but I have three A-levels in science. And a degree in engineering. <laughs> and I am not some weird flat earther. I do not believe in weird conspiracy theories. I'm reasonably well educated. There are lots of people in this room far cleverer than me. But I don't mind telling you this, that I believe that God created the universe and everything in it. And, you know, I don't un claim to understand how all of that worked, but I believe that description of creation that we've just read. Some of you will know that I design houses for a living. And, you know, when we started to design a house, it sometimes just starts as a little scribbled sketch or two. Then we develop some more drawings. Then we end up with quite a lot of drawings ready for a planning application that's going to show what the house looks like, um, how the house is laid out. But that's still just the beginning. Once we've got planning permission, we then need detailed drawings, building regs drawings. We consider every single joint junction, how it's going to work. Then we've got structural calculations to do. Probably end up with like 20 to 30 pages of drawings for a house, maybe 20 to 30 pages of calculations to design steel beams and lintels and everything else. All of that design and thought has to go into something before a single brick is laid. If we remove intelligent design or a creator from the creation story, we are effectively saying that an accidental or a coincidental series of events happen to occur in just the right order to allow life to emerge. And ultimately, after a long line of these coincidental, accidental happenings, eventually you and me occurred. Your life, just a chance occurrence. Coming back to that house analogy, I feel for me that's like saying, let's just get all the materials of that house, the bricks, the beams, the wood, just keep throwing it in the air, and if we do that long enough over millions of years, eventually it will land as a house. I've spent most of my life designing things in different jobs, and for me there is just too much perfectly worked out detail for me not to believe there's an intelligent designer behind it. And I don't want to mislead you this morning, and don't, I want to just say this, that there are Christians out there, 
who are, have a strong faith in God and maybe they have a different view on evolution and creation. And I think when it comes right down to it, the exact process of creation is secondary to the acknowledgement that there is a creator. But there is one thing I want to point out this morning, something that often is contrary to popular belief these days, and that's that science and the Bible are not contradictory. In fact, there are huge amounts of correlation between science and scripture. And I'd like to spend just a few minutes looking at some of the verses that we've just read. We can get this up here. So we're going to be looking at a bit of science. You're back at school now this morning and a bit of the Bible. And I've had a look. This is a book called The Succession of Life Through Geological Time. It's written by Oakley and Merwood. It's held in the British Museum. And it is a what's basically considered to be a general agreement of how life, the order of life started on Earth. So that's what this book is about. So science says in this book, not the Bible, the universe begins with the explosion of the primeval atom, streams of light quanta from the Big Bang, our galaxy begins to rotate. What does the Bible say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. See a similarity there? Can we have the next slide, please, guys? Science says we then move into the pre-Cambrian era. I don't know what that is. But it says this in this book, Earth is swaddled in a thick, steamy bands. What did the Bible say? Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The first day begins in darkness. The book then says condensation occurs to condense this matter or this moisture into oceans and clouds. What did the Bible say? Second day, let an expanse separate waters from waters. See the correlation still? Next slide, please, guys. I've got another word I've got to be careful with here. Early pre-Cambrian shit. <laughs> with rocks oxidised by chloroplasts and blue-green algae. That's what came next on Earth. What does the Bible say? Day three, dry land emerges. Let the earth bring forth vegetation. Green matter, green algae. Next thing that happens, dense vapours clear to reveal the sun. What did the Bible say? Day four, let there be lights in the sky. Next slide, please, guys. We now move into the post-Cambrian phase of the Earth. Marine fossils swarm the strata. So that's the first thing found. What does the Bible say? Let the waters bring forth swarms of life. Next, insects and angiosperms. And the Bible says winged creatures. Next, amphibians and reptiles. The Bible says in this translation, great sea monsters, sea creatures. Next slide, please, guys. And finally, we enter what they call the new life era, land animals. Sixth day, let the earth bring forth living creatures, the age of mammals, then man. And the Bible says, end of the sixth day, let us make man. Just got to find my right page now. So modern science, after hundreds of years of study, maybe more, by hundreds if not thousands of great minds have described this agreed order or sequence of how evolution, to use their language, or creation occurred on the earth in order to sustain life. And yet we can see there, well, I haven't manipulated that, I've just gone through the order of that book 
that three and a half thousand years ago, Moses single-handedly correctly guesses the right order of creation. Do you know, when I was reading on Wikipedia about Moses, um, there are some secular scholars who are beginning to question whether Moses wrote Genesis because they say that his thinking regarding the matters of science is too advanced. Their conclusion is basically he couldn't have written it because the worldview was different at that time. There is, of course, another conclusion that God revealed something to Moses, that God spoke to Moses. God knows the order. (laughs) He was there. He spoke it into existence. God speaks the truth. He still speaks the truth. And what is it that this year God wants to say to us individually? And what about this vast universe that is basically way too big uh, for us to even to begin to comprehend? To give you just some very quick idea, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but if we shrunk down our solar system, so I mean our sun, our planets, our moon, that little bit of our solar system, if we shrunk that down to a pound coin, so it fitted there, and then we threw that pound coin into the whole of North America, that would be us within the Milky Way galaxy. There are over a billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Then there are a billion galaxies... (laughs) In this space, you can't even get your head around how big that is, can we? You know, and I think sometimes as humans, perhaps even in our Christian walk, we can have a tendency to shrink God down to a human scale, to limit him. Why is the universe so big? Why is it so vast? Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. It's God's billboard advertisement that's bigger than we can even wrap our heads around. And yet, Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In the beginning, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. God spoke and he brings order and structure and life and purpose. The world would tell us that we don't need God. Be free. Do what you want with what you do, what you want with who you want. Be free. Don't follow rules. You don't need God. But God created you for a purpose. And he's not in the business of doing things by accident or by chance. And I believe our lives work best when we allow God in, allow him to speak to us and allow him to speak in that order and structure and purpose. I've referred a lot to the term God this morning. But in that last bit of scripture we read, it actually says, let us make man in our image. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, they were in it all from the beginning. 
We read in John 1, a bit of scripture many of you will be familiar with. This is talking about Jesus and the word they use for Jesus is the word. But it says this, you'll recognize the starting point. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light to all mankind. This morning, I believe God wants to say, let there be light in your life. Let there be light this year for you. Further on in John, verse 10, 10, it says, The thief, the devil, comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. When God speaks order and structure and purpose into our lives, it's not to restrain us. It's so that we can have life to the full as designed by him. We're surrounded by the wonders of creation everywhere we look. But, you know, out of all of those wonders, out of all of those stars, out of the things I've just touched on this morning, the Bible tells us that we are his prized creation, the crown of his creation. We are the creation that he chooses to dwell in. We are the creation that he will do anything for. We are the creation that Jesus went to the cross for. He is continually starting a new thing in us and he invites us to unite with him in that process. So as Jack mentioned around the table, let's not start this year with a list of self-help improvements and the hope of a better life in our own strength and efforts. But instead, let's just start this year confident in our amazing God, placing our trust in Jesus, in the new beginnings that we can experience through him because he's foundational. It's when we build our life on him, that's when we start well. Sorry, Joe, if I've gone well over. I've got one little thing to just finish with here. Um, after I'd just finished writing that sermon last night, um, all I went and did her little day, um, bedtime you know, daily reading that she did with Mary. And this was her daily reading for last night, just when I'd finished looking at that. It says from Job 38, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in a thick darkness? I'll just read a few bits here. It then goes on to say, He set the sky in place around the earth and made gravity that keeps us on the ground. God makes the sun rise in the morning so we can see the work and pl- so we can see to work and play, and He makes it set at night so we can sleep at rest. God also describes other mind-boggling things that God does in Psalm 104. When you read a little bit of God's awesome, huge, magnificent power, it's hard to wrap your brain around it. Hey, even your brain with its 100 billion neurons and 60,000 miles of blood vessels is one of his miraculous works. God is unstoppable, unmatchable and unbeatable. He is worthy of your praise.